0: Well, good morning again. <laughs> uh, thanks for being here with us. You know, I'm going to start here. Can you see this? You, you know you're loved when when friends come all the way from Wilsonville to come hang out with you and bring you your favorite jam. Thanks. We love you. Um, yeah, so that's just going to sit there so you can all be jealous for the rest of the service. So just just know... You don't do blackcurrant jam here. It's the biggest thing that we eat back at home. And so it's, it's right there. And you don't get any. Um, and I've got one more week to wait till I can eat it. So that sucks. Um, <clears> 24 <throat> 7 prayer. So the room is in there. Go stick your head in. The sign up sheets are opposite tea and coffee. I just want to take a moment and remind us what happened the last time when we did this. So it's the first time we did it as a church. We started the year with it. And by the end of the week, like, we were changed. Like, God moved in us, in that room. God broke what happened in that room out into our midst. We've heard stories of, I mean, I, I've said this before, the video that Jack put together with interviews of people is now all over the world, with Pete Gregg sharing it, all that, Brian Heasley sharing it, Lisa Kunz is sharing it, and I'm getting messages from people around the world, and, and actually 24-7, I've put it on their website, so if you go to 247prayer.com, they've got a little bit that says, what's it like in a prayer room? And what is it there? It's Alliance Bible Church's prayer room to show the rest of the world how to do a prayer room. Isn't that cool? Um, So God has done some stuff, so I would encourage you, sign up, find a slot. um, You'll be amazed at what God will do. Um, So we are... Sue, you've destroyed me. Where is she? She's not here. So, so... She so pointed out that I say so is my transition word, so I need to try and stop it. So, so whenever I do it, you can point at me, you can laugh, I'll eventually get it out of my vocabulary, don't worry about it. Um, we have just uh, finished up what is the hardest part of the book of Zechariah. So we're in a series, we're working our way through the book of Zechariah, and the first six chapters are kind of crazy. So the first six chapters, you get this opening little introduction where Jeremiah, uh, Zechariah is telling us the purpose of his letter, and then he's got these six chapters of eight visions that happen in one evening uh, that have crazy significance uh, for the people of Israel and for us today. And, and as I've been talking to different people, About the series so far, the common thread is this is really hard. Like Zechariah is really confusing. We don't know what to do with these visions. We're finding it hard. So, before I jump into today's passage, I wanted to put up just a couple of tips. Because, you know, we're not finished with a section now that we've preached it. Now we get to try and live it out, right? So, here's a couple of tips. Um, when you come back to reading Zechariah's vision or reading any apocalyptic literature, here's some things to think through. So number one, as you're reading, pay attention to the symbols, but not just the symbols, also the emotions that they invoke. And so pay attention to the symbols. And what you want to ask the question is, what was the relevance of these symbols to the people that were receiving the, the, the original vision? So that's number two. Consider the impact to the original audience and their future, not ours. So what we like to do is we like to look at crazy apocalyptic apocalyptic literature, and we look at it, and then we go, well, what does this mean for me? There's like 10 steps in between. So first thing we've got to do is, what did this mean for them? And if we can understand what it meant for them, then we can say, well, then what's the implication of this for us? Number three, don't overanalyze the symbols, Symbols, whether you're in Zechariah, Revelation, Daniel, wherever you are, don't... Try and, like, find something in every little detail. That's not always the way it's intended. They're images. Why do we use images? What do we say about images? An image is worth more than a thousand words. They're pictures to try and evoke responses in us. So don't overanalyze. Don't try and work out who every person is and what what they mean today. Um, Consider and remember the writer's purpose. So in Zechariah, why is he writing? He's writing to call the people of Israel to turn back to the Lord. So all of these images are about repentance. So you've got to look at it and go, is my understanding of this vision inviting me into a place of repentance? Because if it's not, then we're misunderstanding the vision. And the last one is just marinate. So my invitation is sit with the visions that we've looked at, steep in them. Uh, these we we're too microwave culture, right? We want to look at it, get the quick answer, and then walk away and usually ignore it. Transformation happens as we steep in these things, and we sit with them, and we wrestle with the curiosities, and we allow God to move in and through us. So I just, I wanted to start with that, just as you're continuing to think through the message of Zechariah, um, have those things in mind as we're we're reading. So as I say, the first six chapters cover all of these visions, now things change. So we're jumping into Zechariah chapter 7, where are we at in the story? Two years have passed. Since the night that he had these eight visions, so we're jumping two years ahead. Um, so, for those who haven't been around and aren't familiar with Zechariah, um, the people of Israel had disobeyed the covenant; they've been sent into exile into Babylon, and so they, they were in their Babylonian captivity. Um, God has worked and brought them back to the land, and they move back to the land. The prophet Haggai is is prophesying to them to to start building the foundation of the temple. So they arrive in the land, they're building the foundation of the temple, and they get discouraged. They go overwhelmed by the the trouble that's around them, and they stop the building work. And so there's a 20-year period where the foundation is established, but no work is being done. And so Zechariah comes in the scene to encourage the people. Finish that work. So he has this one night where he receives these eight visions that catalyze the work. And then there's silence for the next two years. It takes about four and a half years for the temple to be fully completed. So we're we're halfway through that process. So the temple is partially rebuilt. and um, sacrifices are beginning to be re-offered because you don't need the whole thing finished to be able to start the sacrifices again. And so so they're at this point where it's halfway done, the sacrifices are beginning to be offered, and then this message comes to Zechariah to reorient the people to the work that they're trying to do. So this is Zechariah chapter 7. I'm going to read the the chapter, and then we'll look back through it at what it means for us. So here's Zechariah chapter 7. So two years later, in the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the nine-month, the month Kislev. The people of Bethel had sent Shirazer and and Ragamelech together with their men to entreat the Lord by asking the priests of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets this question, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? A little bit of their attitude right there. Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me and said, ask all the people of the land and the priests when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seven months for the past 70 years. "'Was it really for me that you fasted? "'And when you were eating and drinking, "'were you not just feasting for yourselves? "'Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed "'through the earlier prophets "'when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns "'were at rest and prosperous, "'and the Negev and the western foothills were settled?' And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. But they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and covered their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by His Spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. When I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations where they were strangers, the land they left behind them was so desolate that no one traveled through it. This is how they made the pleasant land desolate. So, some people come from Bethel, a little bit north. Uh, Bethel in Scripture, you may remember it as the place where Jacob lays down and gets this vision of a ladder ascending. It's a place that was a little contentious in Scripture because at times they would set up uh, that as a sort of secondary, like, priestly ruling place, and they would offer different sacrifices in disobedience to the covenant. Um, So, these people are coming from Bethel. They're bringing this question. You see in the text, it's addressed to the priest's these priests want an interpretation of the law. So they're saying, uh, we're doing this fasting thing. Uh, the fifth month, we've been doing it for a long time. We're coming to you because, why are they coming? Because they want it to stop, right? So we're going to come to you and ask you, as the interpreters of the law, should we continue in this practice? Here's the caveat. This fast they are doing is a fast that represents the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. So this is not a fast necessarily that God commanded them to do. It's not in the law that they're commanded to do. This is something that they decided to do. Um, And so it's a man-made system. And the seventh month, he's going to talk about in a little bit, is is when uh, the regent from Babylon is killed. Uh, And so they're doing these fasts to mourn the destruction that has been experienced. So they're not in the law, and they're coming to the teachers of the law to ask the teachers of the law to tell them if it's in the law that they should be doing the fast that's not in the law. Right? So they're coming because they don't want to do this anymore. We've been doing this for 70 years. We don't want to do it. So tell us that we don't have to do it. But it's up here now. In the fourth year, the people of Bethel had sent these men to entreat the, by asking the priests of the house of the Lord and the prophets. It just so happens the prophets are there, and the prophets don't care about what the law says. They care about what God wants to say in this present moment. So they ask this question, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done so for so many years? So all of this chapter is about this one little question. Should we continue the fast as we've done for all this time? The next uh, 10 verses is Zechariah's answer. So here's point number one. Pastors are really good given long answers to short questions. <laughs> and this here is my biblical authorization. When you cut, no, that's complete. you know, that's a joke, right? That's not what the text is. Um, but, but they do, they come with this question looking for no answer. Here's, here's what we're going to look at. All of this passage, as they're asking these, this one question, all of it is the challenge that God is bringing back to Israel because their thinking is wrong. And this is the problem we have in the church. We get caught up in certain issues that are happening in the world and in our churches and our spirituality. And God wants us to know that our thinking is wrong. So I want to look at five bewares that we see in this passage that is God's message to the people of Israel to challenge them in their wrong thinking. So the first one is this. Beware of going through the motions. And we see in the question, should I mourn a fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? What's happened in this moment, the people have moved from honest lament. The temple was destroyed. The ruler was killed. They were mourning and grieving before the Lord for this atrocity and asking him to intervene. They've moved from honest lament to begrudging duty. This is no longer my sadness over what's happened. This is no longer me entreating God to move. I'm just doing it because I have to. The religious act has lost its meaning over these seven years. Um, So I say to you, beware of going through the motions. How easy it is to show up at church because we have to. How easy it is to turn up a Bible study or a home group because it's the thing that we've always done. How easy it is to, in our spiritual life, do the bare minimum we need to get the pass rather than devoting all of our lives as a living sacrifice to Him. How easy it is to crave something that we've always done in the way that we've always done it because it's how we've always done it, not because it's necessary or because what God wants in this present moment. We're walking into two weeks of 24-7 prayer. How easy it is to sign up and go in that room because I feel like I have to. There's, we need slots filled, so I'm going to go in there and miss that we're going to that room to to encounter the living God, to hear his voice spoken over us, to have his spirit transform us, and then to send us out into the world. We're invoking his power so that it falls on the earth and brings transformation. But how often do you wake up in the morning and you just come to church? You just kind of get up, you go through your routine, you you get in a car, you drive to church, you sit down, you go through the motions, and you forget that this is like a date with the beloved This is an appointment with the creator of the universe who wants to meet with you and encounter you and transform you. So beware of going through the motions, number one. As I reflected on this, though, there was a little sub-point that came to mind that I've been chewing on the last couple of weeks, and it's this. If we don't learn to lament, we get stuck in criticism and complaint. I want you to think about this. These people were experiencing negative circumstances. In mourning, they're bringing the brokenness to the Lord and saying, I'm sad. God, I'm upset. This isn't the way your world should be. Yet you're good, and you're on the throne, and I'm trusting you that this is going to work out the way it's supposed to be. That's all of Psalms. It's most of prophets. This moment of lament. But we in the Western world have lost sight of what it means to lament. What happened is they stopped lamenting. They started criticizing. This fast is a waste of time. Why do we still have to do this? The temple's almost finished. Like we're halfway there. So we shouldn't have to fast anymore. Like it's, God's told us it's going to happen. Um, it is so easy in your life when things are not going the way that you want it to. When you look at the world and the world is not operating the way that you want it to. When you look at your work, your family, your personal life, and things are not the way that you want it to, to be. If you've not learned the skills of lamenting, bringing that to God in mourning and saying, yes, it's all terrible, but I trust that you are good and that you will move and it doesn't matter the outcome. You are still on the throne. If we don't do that, what do we do? I got home to Monica. <laughs> Someone cut me off today. Someone said this thing today. Someone said this thing. And we just turn around and we complain, off oh, if the we do better over here, if the government would do better, if that government would do better, if that government would do better, if that country could fix themselves, if we could fix medical issues. You know, we just become people of complaints. So I want to ask you the question, what, on a spectrum of capable at lamenting and practiced at complaining, where do you fit on the spectrum? Are you bringing things to the Lord and leaving them in lament, or are you complaining and criticizing? and not lifting the finger to help. To me, it sounds a lot like our culture as a whole. So beware of going through the motions, and if we don't learn to lament, we'll be stuck in criticism and complaint. The second beware is this. Beware of self-serving spirituality. So Zechariah's response, and as God is speaking through him, gives this harsh rebuke. You're saying, should we stop fasting? Well, I'm saying, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seven months for 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just doing it for yourselves? It wasn't just that they were stuck going through the motions, but all of the motions had been turned toward themselves rather than the Lord that they were supposed to be serving. Is the spirituality that you're living God focused and other oriented, or is it focused on self? What does it sound like? I do it because I need to be needed. So I want to be there serving because I need to know that people need me. It's not about serving God or others. It's about me. I want us to start this ministry because I need an outlet for this passion that I have. It's not about meeting the needs of other people. It's not about serving. It's not about honoring God. It's about me. I don't like the style. I want this done in a different way because this style doesn't resonate with me. I'm sorry. I didn't know that the things we did here were about you. I thought they were about the creator of the universe. I thought the church existed to reach the lost. I want to do the things that are going to get them into the arms of Jesus. It sounds like this. I just need to say it because I just have to get it off my chest. You have to get it off your chest or the Lord is asking you to bring that word for this moment. These people, it's like, you know, no one wants to fast, but everyone loves to feast, right? We don't want to fast, but let the feasts keep coming. We'll all sign up for the potluck. I like to eat. I like my food, uh, which is why Lent is hard when I don't get my chocolate uh, and I can't eat my jam. Uh, But you know, for them, they're feasting. They're enjoying Passover. They're enjoying Sukkot. Why are they enjoying it? Because they get together with their friends and they get to feast and enjoy it. And God's saying, Are you doing it for me or are you doing it for yourselves? You hear it in people, you know, "I, I need to go on a mission trip. I've not traveled recently. I didn't know mission trips were about traveling and tourism. I thought that they were about following the heart of God into another land to serve the people who have need. There are so many ways that we take the things that we do and turn them back on self so it becomes about me rather than about him. This is the message that Zechariah is warning them. They're they're back in the land. The temple is on its way to completion. They're only two and a half years into, or two years into the process, and already things are going amok enough that he needs to correct their thinking. So beware that as this temple is being built, that you're no longer thinking about me being inhabited in this temple to reach the world, but it's, about, but it's about us having our temple completed and having the things that we want and being back established in the world as a superpower. It's so easy for our motive to be twisted and forget the real purpose of why we're supposed to be doing what we're doing. They weren't only focused on duty and self-service, but God criticizes them of forgetting what really matters. So the third point here, the third beware is the harshest of all the rebukes. Beware of ignoring injustice. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. This comes up so many times throughout the prophets. Hey God, this fasting thing is really hard. Can I please stop? while we ignore all of the plight of all the people round about. Again, it's so self-focused. It's so easy to get caught up in what is going on in this room. How is our church functioning? How is it just God serving me the way I want to be served? And forget that the biggest call of Scripture is to be out in the world meeting needs. Uh, we are so guilty in the West of ignoring injustice. Part of the trouble is, you put on TV and there's all these commercials for uh, humanitarian agencies with the little tiny skinny kids. And asking for money and there's no water over here and we look at them and the first few times you see it you're like oh that's terrible like we need to do something about that and then you see it the second time the third time the fourth time and all of a sudden you just get normalized to it and you're like "eh." and you just switch it off and it doesn't move our heart anymore we're so good at ignoring injustice we're good at at driving down the street seeing the homeless person on the corner and finding something in the car that you need to do so that you don't have to make eye contact are positioning yourself so that the pole is right between you and them, and you don't have to look at them when you're there. Yeah, you're laughing because you do it too. Um, this comes up so many times in the prophets. This is one of the biggest messages that God gives to the people of Israel. You're, And it's in the New Testament too. You're overlooking injustice issues because you're too fixed on your own comfort. So, I want to break this down a little bit. Let's look at the four steps that are inside this command that he's given, that he's taken from different prophets, and the words that they've, that they've spoken. So, there's four instructions here. The number four is important. You're going to see that as we move on um, a couple of slides from here. But, but what they've been asked to do, uh, administer true justice. It literally says, be just with justice. And um, And the language used here is about power and privilege. It is about the people with position and ability administering correctly the decision-making, the honors, people in front of them that don't have what they have. So there's a command in here, don't get fixated on fasting and feasting, but are you correctly advocating for justice and administering justice to the people that need it? Number two, show mercy and compassion. Exodus 36, 7 says, like, God's appearing to Moses. Moses is like, I want to see your glory, and he's, I'm going to let my glory pass in front of you. So hide in the cleft of the rock, Jesus, and, and my glory is going to pass in front of you, and you're going to see it. And as he passes, he says, this is my name, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. So it's the word compassionate that is used in this verse, uh, and the word for love is the same word used here, uh, for mercy. It's loving kindness. It's chesed. It's the covenant love of God. So, show love rooted in my covenants and be merciful to people round about you. I want that, what do other prophets say, more than mercy, more, more than sacrifice. Um, But it's not just be careful that you're administering it. It's not just be attentive to the people in front of you and be merciful and compassionate. But but the danger is that we go the other way and we begin to oppress. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the the foreigner or the poor. How are we doing? I I hear all the time, you know, America is a Christian nation founded on Christian principles. So how are we doing uplifting the widows, the orphans, the foreigners, and the people in poverty in our country? Because if this is a Christian nation, then this should be the foundation of everything that we do. Sadly, I don't see it very much around me. Are you guilty of oppressing people? What's your attitude towards the foreigners coming into the country? Be careful what you say, because I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> What's our attitude toward them? What's our attitude towards poor people, the unemployed, the homeless? Is our attitude towards them something of mercy and compassion, or is our attitude criticism and complaint and grumbling and hard-heartedness? Are we guilty of oppressing in the things that we buy and where we spend our money? Are we guilty of oppression? And lastly, it goes beyond it. So firstly, they're not making decisions well. They're not showing mercy and compassion. They're actually engaging in oppression. And then the last one, which is the worst, don't plot evil against each other. When we stop walking in justice and compassion and mercy, we begin to plan things against other people that are evil. How can I go in and buy that building so that I can have those people rent from me so that I can make lots of money while they're trapped in a rental agreement. You ever think about that? There are things that we do in this world as we think, I, I heard someone say the most heinous comment the other day that utterly riled me to the core. Well, I've got a solution to the border issue. Let's just go down with our guns and take care of them. I'm like, that may have been said in jest, but you know what that is? That's plotting evil against someone else, whether it meant truthfully or whether it meant sarcastically. Those statements are plotting evil. This is what happens when we fail to walk the way God wants us to do. And sadly, I see this as much in the church as I do outside the church, and sometimes I see this more inside the church than I do outside of the church, and it's shocking. So when Zechariah is looking at the people of Israel, the people called by God to be his, to walk in the world in a way that reflects him, to be a blessing to other nations, to welcome them all in to the presence of God, as, as they're rebuilding the temple, they're two years in, and already Zechariah's having to correct them. We're only two years into this process, and already you're not just to people. You're overlooking the widows and the needy in our midst. You're plotting evil against one another and against your neighbors, and this needs to stop. So how are you doing? How's your heart toward the foreigner? How's your heart toward the widow and the orphans and the poor? Do we get more riled up about repainting walls, changing a carpet, or moving a piano than we do about the poverty and the destruction that's happening in the world around about us? In case you think this is just me getting on my high horse up here, I want to look at Isaiah, because when Zechariah is saying this, he's saying this is what the other prophets have said. Listen to Zechariah's words. To, uh, sorry, Isaiah's words in Isaiah 58, again to the people of Israel who are fasting and feasting. He says in, in verse 3, Yet yeah, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You can't fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I've chosen?' only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing your head like a reed, lying in sackcloth and ashes saying, look at me? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting that I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked, to clothe them, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? If you do do these things, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help and He will say, here I am. This is the command all the way through Scripture. I don't want fasting. I don't want worship services. I don't want Bible studies. I want the church to change the world. I want us to be kind to people in need. I want us to be generous to the people that have nothing. I want our hearts to be broken for the injustice in the world because when our heart is broken for the injustice in the world, our heart reflects the heart of the just God that hates the injustice that he sees in the world. But if we close ourselves to it, and and, you know, because you hear these words and you just go, yeah, here it goes again right? You hear these words. If our heart is closed to it, we're closing ourselves off to the Christ-likeness that we are being called into. Number four, As they're walking through the process. I've worded this one, beware of the slippery slopes. I said there were four exhortations around injustice that they were called to, and then following that are these four descriptions of the internal process that they walk through that matches what just happened. So, here's the slippery slope. We'll put it up on the screen. Um, They refused to pay attention stubbornly they turned their backs and covered their ears they made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or the words that the lord almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets so what happens first of all they stop noticing or paying attention to the things that god is saying i'm just going to skip over those parts of scripture they're too hard to figure out i can't solve world peace i can't solve the hunger issue i can't take care of these problems so let's just ignore them for now then they begin to look away. They, they turn their shoulder away. It's what you do when you get to the stoplight, and you see the homeless person, and you just kind of look away, because we want to turn our back on the very thing that Jesus said, if you give to the least of these, you're giving to me. And then they covered their ears, or they stopped up their ears. So, it's not just they're, they're now no longer paying attention. They're, they're deliberately turning away, and now they're, you've done Anyone with toddlers, you hear me right now. You know exactly what this is. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Uh, it's it's, a, it's an image of childishness. They cover their ears to not even let the truth come in. And in that process, hearts are hardened. Where are you on the cycle with issues you see in the world? As you think about poverty, as you think about homelessness, as you think about sex trafficking, as you think about pornography, as you think about... Uh, some of the other, like, uh, identity crises that are happening around the world. Where is your heart in this stuff? As you think about the call to be more just, to be broken for the brokenness of the world, are you attentive? with your shoulders facing the Lord, your ears open, ready to receive, and your heart soft, ready to do what He's asking you? Or are you in some process of ignoring, turning away, sticking your fingers in your ears, and hardening your heart? This was the problem that God was trying to challenge in the people of Israel, and it's a problem we've got to ask ourselves today, especially in rebuilding. I don't want to be about just building services and getting more people in the doors, but are we being broken for the things that we see in the community around about us? Last, beware. Number five, beware there are consequences. This is what happened. And verse 13, when I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations. There's a threat here that if you do not do the things that God is asking you to do, if you're not listening to him, when you cry out to him, he's not going to listen to us. And we go, well, that's Old Testament. Peter says, husbands, treat your wives with respect so that nothing can hinder your prayers. James tells us it's the prayers of a righteous person that are powerful and effective. So when we are failing to do the things that God is asking us to do, when we're failing to hear the plight of people around us that he's putting in our path, why should he then give us the things that we're asking for? Because the way God likes to work in Scripture is, I will bless you to be a blessing to others. God wants to give us resource so that we can channel it to the right people. And He loves to find the people that are good at giving generously to people in need and blessing them with the resources that they need to make that happen. The consequence here is that He wouldn't hear when, when they prayed, the consequence here was that they were scattered to the ends of the earth. Now, you, you could say, well, God wouldn't do this to us today, but there are plenty of churches closing their doors around the world because they're not walking the way God is wanting them to walk anymore. They're, they're so focused internally that they're, they're hanging on with 15 people until it dies. We're blessed here that there's been faithful people who have clung on and surrendered their hearts to the Lord and allowed change and transformation, there are consequences. Your failure to hear the plight of people may affect your prayers. We go in that prayer room. Our heart towards the, ne- the issues in the world, our negative, closed-heartedness, will affect what happens when we get in here to pray. Are you considering the consequences We, I mean, you get to what are some of the other consequences I was thinking on? People turning away from the gospel because we're so hard hearted and belligerent in our approach in the world that they want nothing to do with Jesus because they don't like who we are or what we represent. People leaving the church because they walk in the door feeling unwelcome because we're not listening, we're not attentive. So they walk out the door feeling that like this is not the place. We end up with a bad reputation in the community when we're exhorted to have a good reputation with outsiders. We've called our discipleship strategy here, Arise. We've been talking about these six practices that we want to walk in, prayer, creativity, hospitality, justice, mission, and learning. So, one of the calls on our church, will we arise in justice? Will we become people who are marked by the justice heart of God, which is as much about what we advocate for strongly as it, as it is for who we protect and what our hearts are broken for? So, what are the justice issues pulling at your heart? Are there any justice issues in the world that should be tugging at your heart that you've become closed to? Are you more concerned about what's happening in your life, your job, your family, your church than you are about the brokenness that exists outside the walls and inner city? Are you walking in lament for the brokenness of the world because your heart is heavy and you're calling on God to change it, or are you complaining and just adding to the noise in the world? Are you moving towards the things that are on God's heart, or is your heart being hardened? this is the invitation this morning. Will you be someone who arises in justice? Will you be someone who's attentive and active and trying to fight the injustice of the world? Or are we going to stay uh, going through the motions and self-seeking spirituality, ignoring the issues that are the heart of God for the world around about us? I leave you with those questions. Let me pray. God, this stuff is, is heavy. And we—I um, mean—we have to preach it heavy because you were heavy with Israel, Lord. They were not getting it right, and you wanted to make sure. And so, uh, would you minister these words deep inside of us? Thank you, Jesus, that you are just. Thank you that you sacrificed yourself to flip the world system upside down. We acknowledge that our heart cannot break for the things that break yours and the way they break yours unless your spirit is moving in a transformative way inside of us. And God, we are habituated to ignore issues and have per- certain perspectives against issues we see in the world. And so, we need you, Spirit, to soften our calloused hearts. Thank you. The Ezekiel says, you take our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. So God, give us a heart of flesh. But that's scary, because we harden our heart to protect our heart from pain, and when our heart is soft, it hurts. But God, would you teach us to hurt for the things that hurt your heart? Would you teach us to be burdened for the things that burden you? And then in that place, as we come on our knees in prayer to you about the brokenness in the world, would you birth in us and in our church and in churches around our city, the vision and the desire and the blueprints and the strategies to begin to lean into fixing some of the issues that we see. Uh, so, as, as Gary Lorentz said this morning, God, wake us up. Shake us up. Don't let us be comfortable. Break us out of the motions that we're walking in, and make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray.